0: When I came from California to Congress, and this is happening a lot of places, our delegation had been here for quite some time. A lot of them elected in the late 70s. So a natural attrition that they're going to retire. And then I always thought like the old uh, Blues Brothers movie you know, starts, i put putting the band back together. So I thought of all the people I had in the legislature in California, we're going to put the band back together and each year add here. And uh, we're going to do that again this year. Uh, Mimi Walters is going to join us. She was part of the leadership team as well. And um, something get to come earlier than others. But it's going to be a very good group. When we were in the legislature in California, we worked very close together. And they didn't care about titles. But we, we were a power to be reckoned with. And uh, California is unique. And we'll talk about this. If you think of um, all the examples, if we didn't gain the majority, what the world would look like go to California. You'd have the highest taxes, you'd have the exodus, and then when like Toyota leaves, the governor would just say, well, smart people learn how to stay. And um, California has 39 million people, 12% of the nation's population, but we have 32% of the nation's welfare population. Texas has roughly 7% of the nation's population, but only 2% of the nation's welfare population. The more make sure of that. Uh, we get 25% of our entire budget from 144,000 people. So I mean, the governor should know each person by name. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you see from a macro level of the punishment of larger government, if uh, the federal government passes a regulation, California passes it a little further. I mean, it's, it's a difficulty to do business. There are a lot of people find that they can't do more. And uh, we pride ourselves on being the eighth largest economy. When I served, we were the sixth largest. So we just keep working down. Um, so the fear is what would happen nationwide. Um, and we'll get into that discussion here, but let me quickly get you because I know you all want to go back and say what's going to happen this week, what's going to happen next week. You've got to talk to your clients. It's about markets, more billable hours. A <laughs> <laughs> couple different things. Uh, next week we'll be done. we are move out. We have a challenge on what's happening along the border. We, the president could actually solve this thing by himself refuses to do so, and he's not going to slow down his funding. You won't take the time to go see the board. Um, you've got a couple different problems. The 08 didn't cause the problem, um, 08 bill for Feinstein, but it is part of the problem now based upon the President's action. Just think about it. It passes in 08, he didn't have an uptick in 09, 10, 11, 12, until the President acted we you have a challenge going in there. Today we have the three main countries. Um, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala presidents here. We'll meet with them today. Um, Kay Granger has done a great job heading up the task force. They've been down there. The best thing we can do is reunite these children with their families. Think about it. It's not what you become in life once you have children. It's what your children can become. Could you imagine taking your five or eight-year-old and paying somebody you don't know? Hopefully they send them someplace. Um, it's devastating what's happening all so we've got to deal with the 2008 law. We've got to deal with the national monuments. You have the president, in his last national monument, he said no motorized vehicles in New Mexico for the border patrol. So they have a real challenge. you got to let them be able to work. Um, resources, you're going to have no problem with resources. Um, we got to find the sweet spot for everybody in our conference of getting something done next week before we go home. We'll have uh, sue the president. And it's not political. I know you'll sit there and you'll think about that. But we created our country country with three co-equal branches. It's no longer co-equal. And uh, the challenge of what's going on is really from that standpoint that you gotta bring it back. And the scariest time I ever had, I think I may have shared it to you once before, was a lunch with the president. And um, we were having lunch and it was just outside the Oval Office, right? And it was the president, Cantor, Boehner, I got the short straw, he's down by Biden. <laughs> and the President and I were getting into a discussion about tax policy, and we are getting into a discussion about energy policy, and the President finally put his hands together and says, Kevin, the world's only so big, but it's an unfair world. And it's my job to change the slices of the pie. So, said, whoa, Mr. President, I respectfully disagree. The world's not so big, but it's your job to grow the pie. And if you think about it, every occupation he had was a redistributor of wealth. So that's his economic policy. But then take that a step further. When he goes and moves a health care bill and changes the enactment of what's in law or something else, in his mind, he thinks the world's unfair. So he's justifying it this way. That's why this suit, as much as, I don't care if the president was Republican or Democrat. The Constitution is a constitution. <coughs> you have to bring the power back here. Um, we'll come back in. We've got three weeks scheduled in September. There's a lot of things that we want to finish up. In the House, we have passed seven of the twelve appropriations. And we've done it in a wide open process. Sheila Jackson Lee has had 50% more amendments just in the appropriation process than the entire Republican Senate conference in the last year. Just think about that for a moment. There are 321 bills passed the House sitting in the Senate. It's not a do-nothing Congress, it's a do-nothing Senate. I jokingly said yesterday, it took, what was it, 300 Spartans that were alive. They held it for two days, but then they collapsed. And this one guy in the Senate, we was holding up 321 bills. Hopefully he collapsed (laughs) in the process of letting these bills go through, letting it happen. Um, You've got a real frustration out there in America. Think about this Obama economy. Clothing up 89%. Child care education is up 107% on the bottom This is everyday life to where to go, why we have bills just sitting there. So um, when we come back in, we're probably going to end up doing the CR. That will probably be in <coughs> Because the Senate has passed zero bills. They haven't passed any of the stuff. So let me stop there. Did that get you enough to go back and tell you why? <laughs> And I want to invite up two friends. And when you think about California politics, it's tough politics. When you think about can Republicans keep the majority and actually go further, well, I'm going to introduce the first one, David Valadao. This is a Democrat seat, 72% Hispanic seat, held by a Democrat, Costa moved up to the other place, and in the presidential year, David Valadao won. He was a state assemblyman, and he represents the area well. He's a small business, a dairy farmer. And uh, we share part of Kern County, Bakersfield. You'll find him in every part of the district. But he's able to hold this seat. And if you look at it, in California, we have an open primary system, so the top two go forward. The Democrats have poured a lot of money in. He crushed him. What was your final number? Final? three. 63%. So you walk into the ballot in California, you can vote for anybody you want. So they had the choice of everybody at the end of 63 Come on up, sit in the chair, grab a mic. Jeff Denham has the same start. I told you we both entered the legislature together. I entered it a couple days before because he had just won a state senate seat. The state senate seat are bigger than congressional seats. More than a million people. And he had a democrat seat. And uh, he was able to win it after the election when they finally counted all that. And his seat is so tough. It was a solid Democrat. When we got into budget battles, they went in and said, I'm going to recall this guy. You've got to think about it. The advantage of the Democrats there. So they do a recall. Stupidest thing they ever had. He crushes them in So when it comes time to run, able to go there. His seat um, is, a, um, is a unique seat of where he represents now a lot of agriculture and others. He's not shy. No one's going to help work him but he moves his seat into a safer place because of his policy and because of the way he's able to... Neither of these ones will walk away from any issue. They'll take it head on. They'll bring people in. The toughest issues, they'll have the town hall meetings and bring people right there and say let's listen and let's decide where we're going to do. So, Jeff Denham, come on up. You don't need a microphone. (laughs) Next, and then you can have each one of them uh, marks, and then open it
1: up to a Alright, Jeff, you go first the senior Well, good morning Thank you for having me <coughs> Oh, I see the way this works <laughs> <laughs> So last week uh, Duncan Hunter puts a little weight on You guys give him a broken chair I get a little too loud, you give me a broken microphone <laughs> 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 Um It's funny, my chief of staff and I, uh, when I was first elected, uh, we're walking by here and we see the Ripping Society. I thought, huh, that's interesting. I've got a Rippin' in, uh, just outside of my district. we got to stop in. I mean, it must be people from California I need to go see who they are. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 we're too busy. we got to go. We're setting up our office, set up our, uh, our team here. A few weeks later, uh, I come by
0: again. I'm like, they're back again. So this
1: goes on for a while, and then redistricting happens. Now I've got Ripon in my district. Now I'm getting offended that I'm not getting invited to something where I've got uh, people from my district at. So I'm glad you've invited me back two weeks in a row. Now I feel very accepted. Uh, uh, great group here, and appreciate being with you. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about some of the things that we're, we're fighting on. I'll, I'll tell you that probably the biggest criticism that Kevin and some of the guys that uh, worked with me for a long time give me. Uh, is that I get, uh, I get too aggressive. Bill Schuster tells me all the time, Denham, you're a bull in here, slow down, be patient, we'll get there. I'm very passionate about uh, this job, about what uh, it takes to, to be in office, you know, going through these tough elections, you know how hard you have to work, but you have to also be passionate about issues. And so I think the biggest criticism that uh, I get is also the thing that makes me who I am. Uh, when it comes to immigration, I wanted to get out there first. I wanted to get out there loud. I wanted to let people know what I believed. And more importantly than wanting to let people know here what I believed, I needed to go back home and tell people in my district what I believed. So the very first thing that I did after uh, coming here, getting involved uh, in immigration, supporting the bills that I felt were important, starting to drive the message through, I went back and met with the Tea Parties. They're going to be the biggest critics in my district on my position when I could sit there and I could explain to them and have a conversation, ask them, well, what would you do differently? Uh, in a district like mine that is uh, a very large Hispanic population, uh, we have challenges in our schools, we've got challenges in our uh, healthcare system, uh, we have challenges in our economy, so what would you do to, to change this? And So engaging in the public uh, and really having those conversations, I do it with the far left, I do it with the far right, I want to talk about the things that I believe in. That allows me not only to stay in office, but to do my job here. So uh, immigration is one of the biggest issues that we're going to face for my district, for California, for our nation. And now we're coming to a point with, uh, uh, you know, what the president said in 2011 that the border is absolutely secure. It's very obvious to the American public it is absolutely not secure. Uh, And I think that this gives us an opportunity not only to secure the border, And take care of this uh, humanitarian crisis that we have today but really start the discussion I mean part of the challenge with politics uh, I think at any level but certainly uh, in Washington DC is nothing happens until it's a crisis until there's a deadline you have the fiscal cliff the farm bill we had the dairy cliff I mean there's always some type of cliff but there has not been an immigration cliff yet well that time is here so I'm looking forward to not only addressing this current uh, crisis but it is time to engage in this debate. This has gone on for 30 years now. Uh, It affects our our tech companies, it affects our ag companies, uh, it affects everybody across our entire nation. We've got to get it done but we have to get it right. And so um, I'm proud to be part of this Republican conference that uh, even though I'm a little impatient, uh, it's taking the time to get it right. Uh, The other big thing is water. In California for the last 50 years we have not addressed our water crisis. Uh, And it is to the magnitude now where not only do we have a challenge with mother nature But we have not uh, seen any significant water storage above-ground water storage for 50 years And so in areas like mine uh, where we've had Two-thirds of the water comes from Northern, California So you've got guys like LaMalfa that uh, have strong property rights and that that water comes south Uh, it goes through my district where we have uh, quite a bit of, of aquifers and and uh uh, some storage uh, we convey to, to further south, and then you get down to uh, David's area where it is extreme drought. It is becoming an extreme drought where I am too, because we've overdrafted the underground water table year after year after year. So now this water crisis is not just about a drought. It's not just about conveyance and, and changing ESA. Uh, it is now an issue that we are going to shut down California's agriculture economy the largest ag economy in the nation the largest ag economy in the world if we do not address this water crisis and so those are two big issues that i think obviously have national implications but affect california in a big big way i'm very impatient and i'm going to continue to be very loud on those thank you
2: I was hoping I was important enough for Kevin to at least introduce me.
0: I, I already did. i give you David Balladale.
2: <laughs> uh, well, the three of us are so close in California that our issues are pretty similar, and uh, Jeff did a really good job explaining the water situation how bad, but um, this past uh, weekend I had a meeting with my dad and my uncle and uh, my brother in uh, a partnership on one of our of our farms, and my uncle's telling me about his situation right now. He's trying to irrigate one of his crops, and he usually irrigate corn about every 10 days And where we're at. He's in about 22 days, and his neighbor's begging him to turn his well off because when he turned on his well a few months ago, there was no water. So he bring the well company in, they lower the bowls, and they get into the water. And as soon as he did that, he basically pumped his neighbors down dry and so his neighbor's is above that level and whenever he turns his on, his neighbor doesn't have any water and his neighbor says, hey, please turn yours off so I can irrigate my crops. My uncle's looking at him like, well, I'm already double where I need to be on uh, irrigation. I need to get uh, get there 105 and 108 degree days. The corn is starting to wilt, you're seeing this. And it's amazing, uh, as a farmer myself, on our own ranch, uh, last year I drilled two wells and we go down about a thousand feet and when you drill one of these wells, I'm not as bad as the west side, but we go down about 1,000 feet. That's about a quarter million dollars a hole that you put in the ground. And that's a, it's really a crapshoot. You hope that you get water out of it once you've invested that. And I'm already in line for a third well for next year. And the well guys are so backed up that they just they just can't get to everybody right now. Uh, they're looking for ways uh, to make sure that uh, if it's the, the guy down in the county that approves the permits, works over the weekends to make sure those crews never stop working. Uh, If they have a four day weekend and one of the county employees decides, hey, uh, it's a weekend, I'm not going to go out and inspect that, you'll literally have a rig sitting there waiting for an inspector to show up, give him the sign off so he can go on to the next job. So this water crisis has been a huge deal for us. It's having a huge impact. Uh, Most people in the valley who don't farm think, oh, we're doing just fine, But just like anybody that loses a job, if you lose a job you still have a savings account, you continue to pull money out of that savings so that you can eat and drive to uh, wherever you're looking for a job or whatever you're doing, but you don't look like a homeless person that first day. What we're doing today is we have no surface water coming from Northern California, and people are pumping and uh, taking water out of the ground, which is basically depleting our bank account of water for the future. And so it's putting us in a really interesting spot uh, for what's going to happen, it's just going to continue to get worse, and that's why we work worked so hard on the water issue, and then on immigration as well, that's something that if we don't address that, we're going to struggle in my part of the country because uh, the guest worker
0: program is a huge deal for us, and we just don't have a program that works, so, but both these guys did a good job explaining it, so I won't add any more. The one thing I will say, too, is if you look, we're the valley, and if you add Devon, that'd be the entire valley one thing that's unique i've always been jealous of pennsylvania pennsylvania to me is the closest um, delegation they work very well together they have different philosophy but they always stick together texas it's texas than america right how (laughs) but they're very united we have in the new group to come in been very united the water issue in california for 150 years whiskey's for drinking waters for fighting and uh, as Jeff said, the the snowpack's up north, then you pump it down and you grow everything down through the valley. The challenge is, how do you keep everybody united? But we've been able to do that. Um, The Senate has a different version. But, you know, three years ago, we had 170% of snowpack. The challenge was, we only got 80% of the water. And the thing no one quite realizes, the ag pays for 100% of the water if they get zero drops still. So you're paying a bill, not getting any water, and trying to grow and you have to turn your crops down. This is devastation throughout California. If you all wonder how it affects you, almost everything you eat comes from California. It, your prices are going to go up. And um, there's a lot of things we can do to change that. Some happen to be is and others. We've got we to bank our water better. We've got to have the ability to storage and we haven't been able to do that as much. So we've let of that 170% we only get 80%, the rest goes out to the ocean. You lose out for years like now, and now they'll change the whole policy in California. You'll start metering your underground water. We're gonna open up for questions. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right, questions coming. go right ahead Ralph. All three, you, all three of you talked about immigration reform. Can you give us a sense of, given the frustration, the Senate passed a bill, you guys have principles, nothing really happened this year. Well, how do you think you want to handle it in the next Congress, and also how does this border split? Uh, situation right now affect how you can handle it next year you know I just went to nine districts last week and none of them were on the border And you know the number one issue in every district was the border because what has happened despite what Reed says the border is not secure and you watch if, with all of our principles no matter where someone stood in the Republican Party on immigration the first thing they always said secure the borders um, I think what has to happen is exactly that, and th- that's what we'll focus on in this short time frame in the next two weeks. As we move forward, if you keep the current system, you perpetuate the problem, right? Someone comes here illegal, nothing happens to them. Forty-two percent of people that are here illegally came here legally in the process. You get someone getting an engineer degree and you tell them to go to another country to compete against us when you get H-1B spills in four days. so. Our focus now, secure the border, prove the border to be secure, and then let's create a system that actually works and doesn't perpetuate a problem. Um, Between now and the rest of the year, we were hoping the president would want to work with us on um, securing the border, because there's a lot of actions he can do. They don't want it. He doesn't even want to go down and, and visit the challenge. He can do some certain actions to stop the flow right now. And why would you put these children in these harms way? And why wouldn't you want to unite a, ch- a child with their family? So I know wh- how hard we tried in the process, but right now is a crisis, and you've got to solve that one first. If it doesn't get solved, do you still take on com- immigration reform next year, or does that just mean that we can't do it? I, I think <laughs> until the border's secure, you probably can't do anything else. Next question. Yes? Uh, one of the, there's a tax issue that's arisen that's become quite... Inversions. Yeah, exactly. What Sarah Hatch is of... Have you heard about this problem? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do you think anything's going to happen on that before the end of the year? Legislatively, no, but I think August, people are going to really start talking about it. The other thing, I have a philosophical belief that structure dictates behavior. Why are companies doing it? Because they're going to be taken over if they don't. Um, you're at a 20% disadvantage to compete and go sell your product. To me, if we're fortunate to gain the Senate, there's five things that have to happen. you got to have tax reform, national energy policy, education reform. These agencies have to be reformed, streamlined, you've got to get immigration reform. Those are the five things for the next century to be ours. Um, this version's going to come up what's the Democrats answer in lieu? You're unpatriotic. Okay, so just stay in business and go out of business because your taxes were too high. This should propel us to actually have tax reform. Let us compete, but from the same time you've got to compete with taxes, energy policy, that combination you could have value-added where you bring manufacturing back, be able to grow. Um, I think inversions is just going to grow the debate is going to be on the outside, and in my view, maybe that will help us get tax reform. You know, in the House, we propose tax reform. Now, in the Senate, it's not easy to do. It's a hard thing to do, but it's something I believe, if we want to be competitive, we have to. We've got to put America at least on a level playing field. Yes, sir? So, think of the state as a whole, how do you think the um Primary system, the kind of the jungle primary system is working. How's that helping
1: or hurting politics? Um, um, I think it's changed the dynamics. I think it's going to get uh, voters more engaged. I think you're going to see some interesting uh, races in the fall. Um, there are a couple of races where it's Republican on Republican or Democrat on Democrat. Um, I think it's going to force people to be more accountable to their districts. It certainly makes some, some districts more compet, uh, competitive. It is also more costly. I mean, it's a bigger challenge for us. We've got to uh, raise, we've always had to raise a lot of money in these tough seats when you're a Republican represents That's a Democrat seat, it's very expensive. But when you've got to run twice, it's almost twice as expensive. So I think it creates some challenges, but uh, all in all, I think the jury is still out on how much it's going to affect California. I think that if yeah, as a republican if we're ever going to win the majority back in the uh, assembly and senate um, i think that this is actually going to work in our favor
2: I, I don't have a problem with it matt i don't when you look at some of the tough seats uh, farther extreme seats left or right it forces them to have to work uh, to reach across the aisle and get people to vote for them and you end up with two r's or two d's in a seat uh, running for the general uh, but districts like mine and denims i don't see us ever having to run against another Republican uh, in our generals. So it doesn't affect us in our district as much as it affects some of those other really, well, districts like Kevin, where Kevin can end up running against another Republican and
1: forcing him to run those two races. But I haven't felt it myself. uh, But there are some crazy quirks with it that that we're starting to to realize is uh, right before the election, you can do a write-in if you haven't had anybody run against you. Uh,
0: We have some people that are that's what I had. Well, <laughs> there, there were only two people that ran unopposed. Now, what you have to do, you have to get signatures and pay a filing fee, but they changed. In the past, if you ran it as a write-in, you had to get 1% of the last election to qualify to get on the general. Now, you just file with no money after the filing deadline, run it as a write-in, and get five votes, and then you're on the general ballot. I've
2: got five candidates running out of the 21st Congressional District. Jeff Denham's opponent is my constituent. Kevin McCarthy's opponent is my constituent. Jim Costa's opponent is my constituent. Nobody likes you. <laughs> I'm running, and then my opponent moved into the district, so there's five of us in
0: my district. You're welcome. The, the only thing, the only problem philosophically about it, we, we in essence are saying only these two parties have all the answers. And I never believe if you sit down and say, we'll are only going to hold, we'll always hold the majority, or you're the only one that has the answers, if you're not challenged. So we're never saying a third party can rise up. We're now picking the two parties that can ever be. To me, that's wrong. I think greater competition is better. Um, you break down the party structure, though, by doing the top two. The other thing that happens, take a Buck McKeon seat. Buck McKeon seat is actually somewhat a competitive seat, part of Los Angeles County. But because the primary for Republicans were competitive and the Democrat was by himself, end up losing because he didn't do much in the primary and you didn't stir your people to come out. Part of the Cantor loss was Democrats didn't have a primary, so thirty percent voted in his primary because it was open and voted against them too. So you can play in different
1: and last election cycle, Gary Miller uh, was lucky enough to have another Republican in a Democrat seat. He was going to have a much more tougher uh, race holding that seat, uh, had he even faced a Democrat in the general. This time, Mike Honda is going to face probably the most expensive race in the state. And then Tom McClintock has a, has a very tough race uh, as well as a, against another Republican. Honda's running against somebody who's raised a couple million bucks
0: already. Oh right. Yeah, I um, you, you talk about immigration being sort of an issue you hear about. I you sort of have all these foreign policy crises breaking out everywhere. I wonder if you hear about that or if you're in the in the Yeah, you hear a couple. Of, um if you travel the world today our friends don't trust us and our enemies don't fear us. It doesn't come out as a polling to say foreign policy, we've been a war lot. But the challenge here is America is not leading. Um, When you go to, you hear it now, and what happens, it's a little like, if you want to compare it to a time in America, about a 1979. It's a malaise around us that we're all saying, the country doesn't feel as strong as we used to be. We don't, then we begin to think, we don't have as much opportunity as we used to be. Why are we getting pushed around somewhere else, and why aren't we leading in our ideas? that, to me, is going to be one of the three major issues in this election, but it won't show up in a poll. In a poll, it'll show up somewhere around 11%, but it's an overhanging one that people are going to say. When you feel a malaise among you, you say, i got to change this. I don't care who's in power. I've got to change this. Do you guys have much questions?
2: I had a tele-town hall last night. Israel came up. Uh, Ukraine didn't come up. Uh, most people in my district <laughs> are asking about water, and then we get a lot of border security questions as well. Um, even <laughs> with what's going on, I still have a lot of folks that support fixing the system, uh, but the concern with children coming across like they are, how they're being housed and everything, a lot of people are concerned with that. That's what I hear about the most.
1: And, uh, you know, obviously immigration is, is by far the, the biggest issue right now. Water is usually the biggest issue. Uh, but I'm somebody who served my country in Desert Storm in Somalia. I work a lot on veterans' issues. And. <coughs> We always have that discussion on every town hall that we have, and so foreign policy's been coming up a, a great deal.
0: The thing you have to remember, we're all California members, so when we tell you we do these town halls, it's after our last events of the night. And we go back, it's like 9 to, or 10 to 11. Other questions? Come on, we're at 9% approval. We know <laughs> One last question, anybody? Yes, sir. So we were talking earlier about um, races to watch in November. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can share some of your viewpoints on, um, you know, races to be paying attention to. I think think we gain 2 to 12 seats in the House, and I think there's an 80% chance the Senate flips. I'll start with the Senate and I'll come to the House. There's seven seats in the House that are held by Democrats that are up for re-election that Romney carried. Six of them be carried by double-digit. That's all you need, right? Well, if I go out and pitch a perfect game, I'm guaranteed to win, but how often does that happen? So you have to expand the playing field. This was a strategy we did in 2010. I think I'm very um, supportive of the people they hired to run the senatorial because they used to run, be part of us in Young Guns. You can't sit back and think the majority is going to come to you. You have to go fight for it. When Cory Gardner ran for Colorado, to me, that changed my opinion about whether we can win. Colorado, Washington, Michigan, New Hampshire, Virginia. Blue states are going to have to play money in In 2010, when we won the House, Barney Frank borrowed $250,000 for it to save his own seat in Massachusetts when we had none, and he was sitting as Chairman of Financial Services. You're gonna have Dems in that problem in blue states. They're not gonna be able to make it, right? Um, Democrats have a money advantage. My only fear is that the other money all goes to the Senate. Thanks to the habit. so how far do we go in the House? I'm seeing polling in the House that are better than 2010 in certain places. I think Illinois is going to be a good state for us. This is my prediction. We will win the governorship of Illinois. It'll be about three to five points. It'll also live... I was just down with Bobby Schilling. He had, in Peoria, the mayor, the sheriff, the city council, all sitting up there endorsing him in his race against the sitting member of Congress right now. He raised like $200,000, and the Illinois is going to run. I think Arizona is going to be big for us. I think California has some great potentials. Carl DeMaio. The ones to watch that you might not have heard about, Jeff Corral is, a, is an excellent candidate, meets, meets that criteria along Ventura. If he has resources, he will win in California. I think Maffei's seat in New York Maffei always loses in a non-presidential because what he has to do is get a coattail to get in. I don't know if you've met Catco. Brilliant guy. He's like a sleeper one that, that can get through as well. Um, I was just up in Minnesota. I love this guy named Stuart Mills. Every year I have like one favorite that I pick and it doesn't come from being an elected official but you just feel that gut of who they are. Stewart's run against Nolan. Nolan won what originally in the '70s, and his views never changed. He served three terms, left, came back. Um, this is this is normally this is um, Overstar's old seat, right? So this is this has been Democrat since the '40s. Stewart's family's been small business. People call him the Brad Pitt. If you want to know who he, is, he keeps his hair there, and um, he he is just a breath of fresh air. He understands everything day to day with that small business mentality. You want to talk about Obamacare? He could talk to anybody about it because it's affecting him personally. He runs the health care system for his hundreds of employees. He knows how it affects him personally. Those three are probably not on everybody's radar. Now, these two, you always want to make sure. He's able to win it in a presidential year, but what Democrats will always try as resources. They'll be fine. And he just works all the time. Same thing with Jeff. But the great thing that you can do with these two Is they build and grow their districts to make it a better district each time
1: I I would just add to that I'm slightly more optimistic than Kevin I think depending on the year um, this looks like one of those years we could pick up more seats I think where you have to really look California Illinois and New York the three states that we lost the most seats uh, we're fighting to get California back and California we lost four seats on a great year if our candidates do everything right, I think we could pick up five seats, uh, four seats plus holding Gary get,
0: Millers. Yeah, you get four seats in California. Another one to watch is New York One, Lee Zeldin. I'll give you a little personal story about Lee. When I was recruiting in 22, 2010, Lee came to see me and he wanted to run for Congress. I told him no. I told him. Not no, that he couldn't, but I said, I don't think that's the best advice. I said, look, I want to win the majority, I don't want to give you bad advice. You want to come to Congress? I think you should go run for a State House, you should run for State Senate, prove who you are, and then run for Congress. And he kind of got mad at me and he walked out, and a week later he decided to run for the State Senate. He won, our nominee lost. So he comes to see me now, and uh, wondering what I think, I said, I think you should run for Congress now, and I'll, I'll back you in the primary, and I don't back too many primary races, and um, he had an opponent that the family was a Democrat but had a lot of money, $3 million against him. He won 60% of the vote. Bishop has his ethical issues, and the voters really didn't know them last time. Lee is a veteran, state senator. I, I like that race a lot. I like him personally, too. Well, John?
1: If, if I could give a pl- plug for two great friends. Tony Strickland and Buck McKenzie. We need to to win that. He's a hard, hard worker. He's won in tough seats in the past. He's somebody that will come here and help us to build the team. And then somebody you all know, Bob Dold. Uh, nobody works harder than Bob Dold. Uh, he will be in that, when he wins, he will be in the toughest seat across the nation. And I would definitely predict him to win, only because he will outwork everybody else. But those are two of my closest friends that uh, will help us to build the team. But if we had more Bob Dole's, this would be a much different majority. (laughs) Hey, let's give Kevin, Kevin McCarthy a round of applause.